trust in money remains the bedrock of stability. The soul of money is trust. I, I think we are not paying sufficient attention to the law of unintended consequences. In the immortal words of the doors, the time to hesitate is through. Muslim Bitcoiner, what's going on? Hey, man. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me. Um, I'm, 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 I'm excited to, I'm, ex I'm excited to talk with you. <laughs> man, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very pleased to be able to connect uh, with you. I've followed you on Twitter for a little while now, and this whole, um, you know, Muslim take or this Islamic take on finance is just really fascinating. It's like a whole other rabbit warren you know yeah. to, to sort of to, to fall down um and you know just for greater context here i come from you know while well, i was graduating high school i guess around you know 2001 a couple of years later actually but um and there was just all of this fear and fud and all of this shit about well you know like the terrorist attacks right and so you mm -hmm. grow up in this world and you learn to fear this, that, and the other. And um, obviously, since not well, well before I think discovering Bitcoin, you kind of figure out that it's all basically just a giant scam, <laughs> and that mm -hmm. these these parts of the world are actually incredibly beautiful. Like I've been, I've been to Qatar, Qatar. I've stayed stayed in Qatar like just a night, but it was hot and humid, and oh yeah, actually horrific <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> But um, like I've been diving down a little bit of this these rabbit holes, and um, there's one Twitter uh, pod that I a Twitter account that I um, I follow called Bayat Alfan. Okay, yeah, I I know I know who you're, you're talking about. Yeah, the future of yeah. Islamic art and culture, um, yeah. and they do these epic threads about the beauty and complexity of you know these Islamic geomet geometric patterns and. Um, the just the architecture and the the history and the culture of of this this place someone sent me a um a photo of the salt mounds in the zagros mountains of iran there's like mm -hmm. beautiful colored you know textured mountains this is sort of like a cross section yeah. um and i feel like you've just like i've almost been robbed of like you know all my traveling years like i could have just gone to visit these places and checked it all mm -hmm. out I hope to get there at some point in my later years, perhaps. But um, all that is to say that when we're filtering our lives now through this sort of Bitcoin lens, it opens up all of these different rabbit warrens and tunnels. And one of them literally is just this Islamic perspective of money, you know, which is kind of where you're at. So anyway, all that's to say, how did you discover Bitcoin? Yeah, so I, I guess I can kind of start like from the beginning. So you know, I, I don't come from a finance background or even like an Islam, like a traditionally um, like from an academic Islamic background. So um, you know, I, I actually studied studied engineering in undergrad and grad school. Um, but you know, I, I've I've told the story before. But you know, the way I got into Bitcoin is my older brother uh, has has been telling me about it since 2013 <laughs> and uh you know he's he's like was just crazy about this thing and i just didn't quite get it and you know even like during like uh like the the in 2017 like you know during the whole uh bitcoin cash fork or whatever he's like here all right you have these coins you need to sell them and and, and get and get more bitcoin because like i had like a wallet i didn't mess around with so he was like i didn't realize like he was like guiding me through all of this stuff <laughs> so he was really like trying his hardest and it wasn't until like 2019 when he got me a copy of the Bitcoin standard and he's like, you're going to read this and you're not going to say no. And you're just going to read this. And you know, if you don't get it after reading this, then that's it. So I read the Bitcoin standard and I think that's like when it was like, all right, like I'm now open to this. Like, I, I think there's definitely a case right here. 
And I think, you know, that's like when I started going down the rabbit hole. That's when I started like reading other books. That's when I started, like I started reading, like uh, I thought the field of Austrian economics was like really fascinating. And then I uh, was, you know, I, I started listening to uh, Saifedean's podcast. And that's, you know, when he had that uh, podcast episode about Bitcoin, uh, the most Islamic form of money. It was, it was uh, this interview that he did with uh, uh, this Islamic banker guy, Harris Arafan. And, you know, you know, they, they were talking about Bitcoin from the Islamic perspective. And, you know, I come from a Muslim background and I like to think that I take my religion seriously and stuff. But, you know, I, I kind of knew that like this whole thing that like Bitcoin fixes this, but I never imagined that it would like be aligned Islamically, like with Islamic principles. And, mm -hmm. you know, when Harris Erfan was talking about it, because he comes like from the traditional Islamic finance, Islamic banking background you know he was he was kind of like mentioning all of these problems and i was like agreeing with him and i i just i never bothered to actually connect the dots and never realized that like oh wait like this thing like this bitcoin thing is actually like really aligned with how islam use you know uh, money and especially sound money as well so you know that's kind of like how i started going down that rabbit hole and my brother was like hey you should make a twitter account and follow all all, all of these uh, uh bitcoin psychopaths and you know I, so I made a twitter account and i was and then like i noticed when i was on twitter i was like you know there's actually not a lot of muslims that are talking about this bitcoin thing like anytime i try to like look online about muslims talking about bitcoin it's always done from like you know i complain about this a lot on my twitter account is about the you know halal blockchain and you know halal web3 and all this other garbage so like it, they never like talk about it from like actual islamic principles especially approaching it from sound money and it just like uh that's that's when i was like all right yeah i, I gotta just start like I, I'm going to start writing. So I started like writing stuff on my Medium page and people started liking it. And um, that's that's kind of like how like this Twitter account just kind of got out of hand because like I was like, let me, well, there's no podcast talking about this. Let me start a podcast. And then I have like people tuning in. And then my brother and I just recently last year, we started this uh, non this uh, education based nonprofit called Bitcoin Medjlis. Um, it's uh, Medjlis is the Arabic word for like gathering or council. So, you know, this is like something that we decided to start because, again, the dialogue around Bitcoin among Muslims is just completely like non-existent, basically. So like that's kind of like how we, you know, we, we I, I listened to this one podcast where like there was this famous um, uh, like uh, I, I guess I guess he's like an Islamic scholar and. He was, you know, the title of the episode was called like, you know, Bitcoin or something. And, you know, I had the Bitcoin in the title. So I was excited because like this guy's like a big shot uh, in, in the West uh, among Muslims. And I was like, oh, man, this, this guy's going to get orange pilled. So like I listened to the podcast and, of course, you know, they talk about Bitcoin and they start talking about blockchain. And then they start talking about Web3, NFTs, Metaverse, and the whole conversation gets completely sidetracked. Nothing about fiat, nothing about the prohibition of usury and Islam, uh, 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 or how Islam views money. And it just like, that's, I think when I listened to that, like, uh, uh, podcast or whatever, like, I messaged my brother. I was like, dude, we, we got to do something like this. This thing, there's, it's, this is just so much crap that we got to start and that's how like we started bitcoin medulis and we're still kind of just starting out and that's where i am right now you'll have to uh you'll have to link me in the show notes man because i i'm gonna have to uh, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes so that i i can get that but it sounds like For you've sure. just gone from like naught to to a hundred you know in like i don't know very very quick time i mean your brother was chipping yeah. away at you for ages you know <laughs> I actually yeah. it made me think because I've got family members that I've I've been you know um, berating about you know Bitcoin and all the rest of it for years now, and I, I haven't actually gone to the point of of giving them the Bitcoin standard, and because I just don't think that they're gonna they're gonna read it, so I feel like why bother? Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, your brother in an act of desperation was like, "Dude, read this." <laughs> I'm curious to know what compelled you to read it instead of just being like, yeah, cool, man, I've got it. I'll, I'll get on with well, the shit. So, you know, it's, it, he's, he's, he's my older brother and I kind of have this, you know, I, I listen to him or at least I try to do a good job of pretending that I listen to him. So like, you know, when he gave me the book, I, I felt obligated. I was like, all right, I've, I've been ignoring you for all of these years. And, you know, clearly the Bitcoin price has gone up. So you, you might know something that I don't. So I will read this book. So that's like, I think, you know, I, I think other people that kind of get in, whether they, you know, watch a YouTube video or, you know, listen to a podcast or they read something. So like, I think it just depends by the, by the person, but I guess, 
I don't know what what kind of what kind of com- compelled me. I was I was just uh, I I wanted you know I think I guess it was just time you know I, I was ignoring this thing for a long time and it wasn't until I read the Bitcoin Standard and even like after I read it I wasn't like all right I gotta like completely buy in. I, I think you know I, I I like you know I like that I took my time with it because after I read it I, it wasn't so much that like oh my god I need to buy Bitcoin. It was uh, I need to learn about this more. All right, like this this thing is interesting now. I need to learn about it more and I particularly particularly like the economic approach that Safedean uses. So I was kind of I'm more interested in the economic aspect than I am more in like the technical aspect of how Bitcoin works. But obviously like all of that stuff is is very interesting. It's very intertwined. But um so that's kind of like how I, I you know was like reading uh re- reading a lot of like Est- uh, uh Austrian economics textbooks for a while mm-hmm. and then um you know listening to podcasts uh that that uh, you know listen especially that um that Michael Saylor and Robert Breedlove series. I mean, that, that one is just phenomenal. I, I, I love that one. Mm. And uh, I guess like after, as I was like, you know, reading about it, learning about it, that's kind of when I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta buy more of this. I can't, it's not just good enough that I'm putting like, you know, five or 10%. Like I, I gotta put more money into this or what <laughs> I gotta put more, I gotta convert more of my fiat in, in, into the, into this Bitcoin thing. And, you know, even like when uh, it was like, you know, around COVID when like every, all the, you know, all the, 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 the price of everything was going down. I like called up my brother. I was like, all right, dude, I'm, I'm going to, I think I'm going to buy a whole Bitcoin. Like I'm going to do it. Like, is, is this smart? Like talk me out of it. And he was like, you know, I, I can't tell you what to do with your money or whatever. I was like, all right, all right, I'm going to go ahead and buy this one Bitcoin. So I'm like, I'm kind of glad that like, like it's, you have this kind of force that compels you after a certain point of reading and learning about it, you have to do something, whether that just be buying it, whether that's like e- even writing about it, starting a podcast or like, uh, you know, just just you, you just have this kind of overwhelming force that kind of compels you to do something with the more you learn about it. Totally, man. It's it's that's exactly the force that started started this uh, particular podcast in that you give it some thought. You think oh, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But then something just pushes you. And you're like, all right, like, even if no one listens to this, who gives a shit? It's going to satisfy mm-hmm. me from a perspective of just having interesting conversations because, you know, the network right around the world of, of Bitcoiners is massive, relatively speaking, um, to my local network where, you know, I can't just sort of, you know, catch up with buddies week to week and, and, and start just talking about Bitcoin because in particularly like, you know, Islamic Bitcoin, it's just not going to happen. So in order <laughs> yeah. to have that conversation, I need to start a pod, <laughs> you know, it's like. Yeah. And I, I will say like also what helps is like uh, I went to my first Bitcoin conference last year and, you know, I met like with other Bitcoiners and stuff like, you know, other like big, you know, Twitter accounts here, like they're just kind of standing there, whatever you go and strike a conversation with them and you're like, wow, these, these guys are actually really nice. And then, you know, like when, when I was when I was at my first Bitcoin conference, I met up with other Muslims that were in Bitcoin as well. And they like had the same sentiments that I've had that I've talked about that like, you know, the dialogue around Bitcoin among like, especially like Islamic scholars and, you know, uh, uh, governments from like Muslim majority countries, they don't really like talk about Bitcoin at all from a sound money perspective. And, you know, they all kind of felt that same way. So like, and and just... It's just great because like whenever you meet these other people that kind of have these same feelings and thoughts and uh, like compulsions that you have, you just you just feel like you have to uh, like like you just automatically click. You don't really have to like say much and you kind of just like already understand. All right. Like this guy is, you know, he's not into shit coins or whatever. Like this guy's into Bitcoin. And, you know, like some, you know, one one person I met was like, uh, you know, hardcore into the carnivore diet. Like I don't need to like. I don't need to ask him why. I just know. Like, I just know. Okay, like you don't. You don't have to explain yourself. Like, let's go eat some steak. Um, so you know, it's 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 just it's really cool actually meeting. You know, it's it's cool meeting people online and talking to people online. But actually, like meeting people in person, especially at conferences, has been just. I think that's like also what kind of motivated uh, motivated me and my brother to start this Bitcoin Medjlis initiative because you know it's just like it makes you realize that like, oh, okay, there's actually like real people out there that like want the same thing or feel the same way. So, you know, it kind of compels you to, again, take action, not just online, but like in, in the actual physical world. Yeah, in the real world. Oh, 100%. We've got this yeah. this uh, meetup that happens, freak, uh, you know, a few times a year called the Bush Bash. And um, that was one of the sort of instigators of this particular podcast because, mm. you know, you chat to real life people and, 
they're either already doing it or they go, yeah, that's a cool idea. I'd listen to that. And then you come home thinking about it and you're like, all right, fuck it. Let's just, let's just give it a go, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you're almost 12 months in and it's like, sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I normally have like a set set of questions, but I, I kind of want to lay a little bit of groundwork with respect to, I guess, what, um, what is it? Scholarly Islamic understandings of finance and money and how that may lay over or align, say, with the economics of Bitcoin, not so much the tech, but the economics of it. So, um, yeah, do you want to give us a 101? Yeah, 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 for sure. So, I, I mean, I, I think it, it always helps to, um, you know, start. So, like, you know, the big thing when it comes to, you know, Islamic finance, whenever people talk about Islamic finance or Islamic banking, like the thing that's Obviously, there's a whole lot of other aspects to it, but the thing that mainly people focus on is the prohibition of usury. So historically, you know, like whenever I say the word usury, people just think it's, you know, exorbitant amount of interest. But historically, usury has meant any amount of interest. But over time, that definition of usury was changed to mean exorbitant amount of interest. But It's like you know, exploitative uh, gains. Yeah, yeah. This So uh, uh, there's different... I guess like uh, angles to look at it for sure, but um, you know, all all religions had like restrictions on interest and usury, like uh, outright bans, like even in Christianity uh, uh, as well. Uh, but you know, uh, in in Islam, we're a lot more strict in the prohibition of usury. So um, you know, with with you know with with that in mind. You know, there's many justifications for why, you know, that's that's like one of the things that's hard to explain to people, because if you say like, oh, you know, we're Muslims, we're against, you know, charging any kind of interest to anyone in like the traditional finance space, that just sounds insane. There's like, why, why? Like that, that makes no sense. So, uh, but I, I think Bitcoiners are more primed to understand like why, you know, someone might be against uh, the charging of interest because, um, you know, just in the context of fiat, when you're, uh, when you're the borrower, you're bearing all of that risk. And if you're the lender, you know, you're just, all you're doing is just putting up this money and you're just making it, you're just making money off the money without like putting up any risk. You're just like, for example, you put your fiat into a bank account and you just receive yields and you don't, uh, you don't care or understand where that money is going to, Mm -hmm. to get that interest. And you know, it, that interest has to come from somewhere and it's always coming from a borrower that ends up paying uh that that ends up bearing all of that risk and you know it's it's not it's it's very unique about money because like you know say if you're gonna go and rent a piece of equipment and you know you pay money for for that for that equipment or whatever but if something happens to that to that equipment you know it's it's the person that gave it to you that's it's their loss right like uh, assuming like you didn't like damage it on purpose but for money it's different because like if you are the borrower and you end up, you know, borrowing the lender's money. And if that money gets lost, well, like you're still responsible for it. That's what I mean that like the borrower bears all the risk mm-hmm. and the lender bears no risk. So uh, I, I think that's kind of like, obviously there's like a whole lot of other factors for, you know, explaining why, uh, you know, the in, in Islam and in other religions, they kind of look at usury very unfavorably. Uh, but that's, that's kind of like, I guess, one, one of the main ways to explain it, especially to Bitcoiners. And, you know, it's not so much that like usury is frowned upon in Islam. It's like considered like this really, really, really bad sin. Like it's, it's like up there is like one of the most heinous sins you could do is again, not just charging interest, but just like even dealing with it. Like even if you're paying interest, it's like considered like that, that's, that's just considered such a heinous sin. And it's one of those things, you know, I I say it like that because even a lot of scholars don't quite understand or even explain or or even able to explain why interest is such a heinous sin. Because it's one of those things that's like, you know, like don't steal. Like, you know, we all understand that like stealing is wrong or like other sins, but like interest is a little weird because like, you know, you don't quite understand, you might not quite understand, you know, someone's lending money and they're, and they're gaining and someone else is borrowing, they're paying the interest and you just don't bother thinking like uh, how, how that could be considered a heinous sin. But that's kind of like the gist of, I guess, the justification for it. So in the context of fiat, you know, so as Bitcoiners, we all kind of have an idea of how fiat works, right? Like there's no reserves. It's all based on debt. Um, the, the underlying base layer of fiat is literally just interest bearing debt. And we all know like how fiat gets created where, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's only ever created through the issuance of loans. Those loans always have interest tied to them. So like, if you get like, you know, a, a, a 
a fiat note or whatever, like 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 a one dollar bill, you see that on the top it'll say Federal Reserve note, right? Like that note means that it's redeemable for something, but obviously like that's not redeemable for something, but it's something backing it. That's that's what that's what it entails. But if you look at what backs it, it's basically just U.S. Treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Like all of it is just interest-bearing debt. So it's just so getting to the topic of like Islamic finance and Islamic banking. Now imagine if you're a Muslim and you're trying to like build Islamic finance products or whatever on top of this system. What do you? How do you think it's going to end up coming out? It's going to end up having interest at the base layer, right? Like at the base layer of the fiat protocol is usury. So like no matter what you build on it, you're building on a very unethical and very un-Islamic foundation. So that's like one of the things when you were talking about that Islamic uh, banking podcast you were listening to. That's what like a lot like they were kind of like alluding to is that like it's 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 possible, but it's extremely difficult to build any real Islamic finance or Islamic banking products that kind of adhere to the to the to the to the spirit of the law and so you know with that aside we kind of understand especially like as if you're a muslim and you're a bitcoiner you kind of inherently understand that the fiat system is inherently based on debt and usury but now you have this other thing called bitcoin let's look at bitcoin mm. well it has you know there's no usury at the base layer of the protocol it has 21 million coins it has a fixed issuance it's decentralized so that no one person controls the 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 economic or technical policy of the of the network. Anyone can run a node and validate transactions, um, uh, and it's it's just open and transparent, and it's global. You don't need permission. So like, just it's completely the opposite of what this fiat system is. And so now, like, you have this Bitcoin thing that where I like to consider it to be. So the Arabic word for usury is loosely translated to is the word riba. So that's one of the words that I use in, in a lot of my Twitter posts is the word riba. So I consider Bitcoin to be anti-riba money. And that's how I am trying to explain it to Muslims. Because when I say, yeah, Bitcoin is anti-riba money, it kind of kind of gets them interested. What? Anti-riba money? What, do you, what, do you, what are you talking about? So like, you know, you have this fiat thing where the base layer of the protocol is built on riba. On the other hand, you have Bitcoin where at the base layer, it's inherently anti-riba in that, you know, because there's a fixed 21 million cap you're not likely to loan out your Bitcoin for just a small amount of interest because if you, if you, if you loan out, like we've seen this happen, right? Like with all of these other crypto exchanges where you put up, you give up custody of your coins, the exchange goes down, you lose all your coins. That's, Bitcoin is designed so that you don't do that. Like so that you're going you're gonna to either learn it the hard way, you're going to learn it the easy way. But if you try to build a, a financial system on top of Bitcoin that's based on usury, it's not going to work. And with that, that's what I mean, that Bitcoin is, is very, is very uh, uh, an attractive proposition for Muslims because it's very anti-riba. So I'll, I'll stop talking so you can... Uh, no, you man, can that's, that's, that's cool. You hit so many good points. Um, like it, my first question actually is so, sort of like haram and halal, where they're opposite to one another, you know, forbidden and permissible. Is, is there a word for anti-riba in... in um, no, I, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because like, uh, I, I don't even know who made the term. Like I remember writing an article, uh, I wrote this article for Bitcoin magazine, kind of explaining that like, you know, there's, there's RIBA at the base layer of fiat and how Bitcoin is anti-RIBA. And then I heard like on a Saifedean podcast, they were using this phrase anti-RIBA and I heard Eric Harris or fan. I, I think I may have gotten it from one of them, mm -hmm. but it's not like, there's not like a term for it in Arabic. Cause I think it's like, you know, uh, you know, Back back then, right? Like money, money was just gold and silver. So like it wasn't, you know. And and if you're on like a hard money standard where you're transacting in gold and silver, you know, having interest uh, based transactions with that, like, is it it happens, but it's not like the most productive thing. The most productive thing on a gold and silver based standard is you save money, and you know it would appreciate in value. Uh, or, or if you uh, you know if you wanted to get bigger returns than that what would happen is that you would invest it in a business that would give you greater returns than what you would have if you had just held it. So like, you know, loaning out your, if you were on a purely gold standard, loaning out gold doesn't really make sense. So like, um, you know, there wasn't really like a, there wasn't really a term for anti-riba back then because it's just, that, that wasn't just the thing. But now that like, we've kind of like, you know, migrated on a pure fiat system ever since 1971, you know, now that like, we're kind of like going, I, I hope that we're all kind of like going back to where we were supposed to go uh, on, you know, uh, on, on sound money. 
um, I'm, I'm hoping this, this phrase anti-riba catches on with other Muslims and it becomes part of like the, the vocabulary, I hope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting, I guess. So, I mean, the, the, the fact that there was no need for an, an anti-riba because the financialization of the economy just didn't exist. It, it was based in the real economy on goods and services, you know, um, being um, <clears throat> produced, traded, um, conducted, whatever the, the case may be. So that's, that's actually really interesting from an etymological yeah. point of view. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of hoping, like I said, that that you know, anti, that Bitcoin is anti-riba money. Like I hope that phrase kind of catches on. And I like to use it a lot when I'm tweeting and talking to other Muslims to try to get their attention. But you know, I think the conversation I feel like always has to start with explaining what the problem is. And you know, if you're a Muslim, you know, you obviously like you know, for 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 anyone, you know, explaining the problems with fiat, you know, you, your your money gets constantly debased. You have a central group of people that. Uh, profit at the expense of others but like for muslims there's another layer to this in that there's all of this bad stuff happening but like it's all done also with with uh with with riba at the base layer of the protocol so like you know explaining to muslims in that way i feel like helps in kind of framing what the problem is so that you can so you prime them a little bit before you start like you know uh, uh telling them that well there's this other thing that's this anti-riba money that's called bitcoin and then there's also the other aspect where you have to like i I, I think half of my posts on Twitter are just like just toxic Bitcoin maximalist uh, rhetoric because like, you know, it's it's uh, it's trying to explain the difference between Bitcoin and crypto is extremely hard, especially for Muslims, because they look at Bitcoin and they just like, oh, you're 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 that crypto guy. So um, that that's that's also another another challenge that that I face quite a bit. Well, I mean, that's that goes back to, you know, the like and, um, you know, make two trips around the around the earth before the truth even gets a chance to put its pants on. It's the it's the constant battle that Bitcoiners have because you have to wade through literal bullshit and and misinformation and nonsense uh, before you can even get to the to the point you're trying to make, you know, which is yeah, you know, I mean, so the the fact that there's river at the base layer it's interesting that it even got off the ground in the first place. But listening to um, Harris Erfan uh, in there was a podcast, The Thinking Muslim. I think I mentioned it earlier. Um, I'll put it in the show notes for anyone that's listening. Is Islamic uh, banking really Islamic? Fascinating interview. And if you weren't into Bitcoin, you probably would struggle to pass a lot of the information. But the fact that you've got this sort of prerequisite knowledge of bitcoin it's so much easier to understand but he was talking about how um the financialization of of the west effectively made its way over to to the middle east and you mentioned before about scholars misunderstanding when he was mentioning that in the podcast and when you mentioned it um i i my mind immediately goes to incentives and i'm wondering okay so who's getting paid off here like where's the money flowing to and I, I wonder if that intuition is correct. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Even I directionally. Mean, I, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, because of the incentives that are created by fiat, it necessarily leads to like, you know, it, I mean, the field of Islamic finance wasn't even like uh, a thing back then because like finance on a sound money was just Islamic finance. Like that's what you would have. You would have Islamic finance if you were on a sound money standard. <laughs> right. I think that's that's what... Um, I think I remember hearing that quote from Alan Farrington is that like Islamic finance would emerge naturally on a sound money standard. Uh, but, you know, Islamic finance had to emerge because of like, uh, you know, I, Muslims kind of understood that like, hey, everything, if you want to buy a house, you want to buy a car, if you want to invest, uh, you know, if, if, if you want to like uh, uh, basically do any, anything financial that's like kind of uh, kind of big in nature, you have to deal with interest in some way so that you have now you have this thing called islamic banking where it's like all right um you know and, it, and now you kind of get an idea of like how the incentives kind of corrupt uh the also like islamic finance or islamic banking so like i'll give you an example so one of the products that a lot of islamic banking institutions offer is a islamic mortgage right so like say you're you know you you, you want to buy a house but um, all you know, whenever you want to borrow money from a bank to buy a house, you got to pay interest on it. But you know, like I said, paying interest is a really, really big sin. So you go to the Islamic bank. So the Islamic bank says, okay, uh, you want to buy this house? It's you know, uh, say say it's like 500k. The Islamic bank will go and they'll buy the house 
at, uh, at that 500K price point, and then they'll sell it to you at 600K. So it's not interest because they, they mark up the price, but now you're paying it in installments. But again, it's not technically interest, though. I'm not trying to. So with, with this yeah, example, yeah. I want to mention that not all Islamic banking and finance transactions are this way. But I'm just trying to give you an example of a popular it's uh, like transaction. It's a sly that's not, roundabout way. Yeah. And it's funny because that that uh, you mentioned to me earlier. Uh, 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 so this one author that Alan Farrington mentions is Tariq El-Diwani that he mentions. I highly recommend people go read his book. Bitcoin is Venice is absolutely phenomenal. Um, he he references this one Islamic uh, finance guy's name is Tariq El Dewani, and what he says is that uh, what happens with Islamic banking is that they layer transactions to obfuscate the fact that there's riba at the base layer. So like you know like what I said with about is the Islamic bank that buys the house at the marked up price, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean they they buy it and then they sell it at the marked up price. There's two transactions, right? They're separate transactions. Neither one of them have riba. But now the thing that links them is the promise, right? Is that like the buyer, the person that wants the house has to promise the bank that, okay, bank, if if you buy that house, I'm going to buy it from you at this marked up price. So like they make it seem like these transactions are separate, but really it's the promise that kind of links them. And now that these two transactions are linked, it kind of obfuscates the fact that Riba is at the, like the only reason why these transactions have to take place is to kind of obfuscate the fact that Riba is at the base layer. So like, um, and that's kind of like one obvious example that I can mention that like, you know, where you have fiat that not only just, you know, it has all of these other corrupting incentives that, you know, like Saifedean talks about in the fiat standard that we're, that we're all aware of. But there's, it also corrupts uh, the, the way Muslims do finance and banking. And I like to think that, you know, coming from an Islamic tradition, we take our ethics very seriously, especially when it comes to doing transactions. I mean, one, one, uh, uh, anecdote or one one thing that I'll mention that's interesting is that in the Quran, which is our holy book, the longest verse in the Quran talks about how to conduct a transaction. No way. Yeah, yeah. Actually, a lot. Of, I mean, to be honest, I didn't even like know that like uh, <laughs> like growing up or anything. Uh, but you know, it's kind of like one of those interesting things is that the uh, you know we Islam places a huge importance on. Uh, like just conducting transactions, because you know the the way that Islam emerged, that is, it emerged in in you know in 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 a desert with all of these merchants. So it like kind of came about from a like merchant class, like you know, so like doing transactions and um, owning private property and uh, investments and trading, like all of these things are are like you know considered like sacred in in the Islamic tradition, and you know it's considered ethical that like you know if you go and you accumulate capital and use that capital to like sell things, that's considered like a very uh, ethical endeavor. And um, you know that's that that's kind of what I mean is that like uh, fiat kind of corrupts all of that because instead of uh, you know, doing bus- doing business that you would do normally, you're kind of incentivized to start up these things like Islamic banks and Islamic finance institutions that just kind of replicate what all of these other uh, over-financialized institutions do. Nuts. I mean, yeah, just the, the corruption of fiat, just, it just corrupts everything it touches, right? It just, it incentivizes corruption. It incentivizes <laughs> theft, lying, deceit, obfuscation, the whole lot. It's just... Once you start to unpack it, you just, I mean, and even like in the most, as you, as we've sort of been touching on the most, I guess, purest form of, of, um, an economy, like the fact that, uh, Islamic finance is based in, on the real economy and not the financial layer that sits on top of it. The problem is, is that we've gone so far down the ride, the road with this financialization of the economy that the financial services were meant to serve the real economy and now what's happening is that the real economy is essentially serving this financialization and this is what farrington talks about with the capital strip mine and you know the farmer eating the seed straight away rather than you know having cultivating that low time preference and you know all that sort of stuff it's it's just like i mean honestly man i've said this on the pod a few times but bitcoin is the most intellectually stimulating thing ever come across it's not i i I have to agree with that i mean because like before bitcoin i didn't really care about like you know i would have never picked up like an economics textbook or anything and Mm -hmm. like i would have never like now i'm like just like i'm eager to like read and learn more like i never have never like read these many books and stuff not even (laughs) just like about bitcoin but also like 
it, like a, adjacent topics around Bitcoin as well. Like I, I even try to like I have this uh, Twitter thread that's kind of like you know I, I like to call it like the Islamic version of going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. So like I have like a series of like six books or whatever of like none of these books talk about Bitcoin directly, but some of them like you know like Harris Erfan's book. He wrote a book called Heaven's Bankers that kind of talks a lot about the stuff that he talks about on the podcast. And there's like Tariq Al Dewani's book and. There's um, kind of like this this other book that talks about like how um, uh, capitalism, uh, you know, we all think that like, you know, capitalism emerged in uh, in Europe or in, in, in Venice specifically. But the, what the author argues is that actually, you know, what we know as capitalism or what capitalism is supposed to be actually emerged in early Islam. And that's like where a lot of the Venetians would, you know, copy a lot of the same mm-hmm. financial transactions from from Arabia. And, you know, so I have like that book talking about that. And then like I have another book talking about like a, like basic concepts in Islamic economics. And um, so like, you know, I, I like I like uh, I, when you talk when you say that like Bitcoin is like st- is a, the most stimulating thing, like it really is. I mean, because it, it makes you just want to learn more. It's not even so much like like, yes, like all, all my savings are in Bitcoin now, but like. Okay, like what? What do I do now? Like I, I, I want to keep learning about this. Like this stuff is so damn interesting. And like even just, I, I don't know if you can see it in the back there. I, I recently just got Jimmy Song's book, Fiat Ruins Everything. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't started reading it because I'm still reading Lynn Alden's book, Broken Money, which is absolutely fascinating. You should, you should read that one too. Um, and you know, like there's, I, I think once you, once you. St- once, once you're into Bitcoin, isn't so much about like the price action or whether you're going to get rich or anything like it's, that's such like a, like, obviously you want your purchasing power to increase. I'm not saying that the price is irrelevant, but like, it's, it's uninteresting compared to like everything else that is about Bitcoin and all of the associated subjects around it. I can remember early doors being on Bitcoin Twitter and, um, and ha- just seeing accounts that would sort of mention that they don't care about price action anymore. They've gone beyond it. They've sort of reached this Bitcoin Zen uh, that yeah. Opti talks about. And I I remember early doors was thinking like, oh, really? Because f- my couple of friends and I, we would sort of trade back and forth for price action. If there was any movement I- in the day or something, it was, you know, like, ooh. Um, and I never quite understood how that would not become interesting. And I guess the longer you go on, it just, it just happens where it literally is the most irrelevant thing because one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin or one sat equals one sat. And it's all the other things around it. And if you're a curious person, man, you will never be satiated. You just, it's, it's an insatiable thing to just dive into it really is and it, i yeah, don't know about you yeah. man i <laughs> wake no, up no, but, check bitcoin yeah. twitter go to sleep check my <laughs> yeah you know I, I try not to like you know be on you know like what i will say like one of the things that being on uh twitter i guess what it's, it's called x now you know mm. I, I only i've only had my account for like less than two years or something so i'm like pretty new like i guess to the bitcoin space or whatever but you know, I, I find myself picking up habits and it's like, you know, my, my wife made a comment the other day. It's like, you know, like all you do is read books. Like, <laughs> like you've, you've gone, you've, you've, you're boring now. Like <laughs> she was like joking, but you know, it's like, I, I find all of, I, I'm making these habits that like I wouldn't have normally made. I'm like eating healthier. I, I am working out. I'm taking my religions more seriously than what I did before. I'm uh, you know, I feel like I'm a lot more involved in uh, in raising my kids. It's just all of these like weird things that are happening because I've lowered my time preference so much. Like when I'm allocating into Bitcoin, I'm not like thinking of like, all right, I'm going to, you know, put my fee on into Bitcoin. I'm going to buy a car in a few years. No, I'm allocating to Bitcoin because I want a future for my kids and grandkids. Like that's that's like I'm thinking in 30, 40 year time frames now. Like and, you know, I, I just. I, I don't see how I, I would have been able to get to there without Bitcoin because before I had like nothing that to, nothing to really save in and nothing that was like really aligned with with uh, with with my religion. And so nuts, here's man. and like here's here's the, here's this here's this Bitcoin thing that's completely aligned with with my faith. And um, I feel like I, I really like talking about like the ethical aspect of Bitcoin. I feel like isn't really talked about a lot even within the Bitcoin space. Um, you know, because you know, we, we we like to you know differentiate Bitcoin in its technical or economic aspects, but I really feel like there's also this ethical component that kind of doesn't get talked about as much. And I've been using that to try to like differentiate between Bitcoin and crypto, 
And um, that's that's uh, you know one one of the angles that I guess I try to uh, uh, approach talking about Bitcoin from. Whenever people are like, "Well, what, what's what's the difference between Bitcoin and crypto?" Like I like to just kind of lay the ethical foundations for that. And we even have an article that talks about like the the um, the unethical foundations of crypto. I guess to try to kind of lay some of that groundwork for like why like you know with the with the technical economic issues aside like what's what 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 are the ethical problems with crypto and i think that's a very attractive way i guess for a muslim to kind of approach the bitcoin maximalist perspective on money yeah i mean the, the ethics um side of things is is another one of those fascinating aspects of of a sound money and what it cultivates over time one of the core questions that i generally tend to ask on this pod is how has discovering bitcoin changed you and you pretty much sort of just you know we we skated over that which was which was perfect because i love that it just emerged organically um mm -hmm. but the the when I record these podcasts, I think to myself, okay, if someone was listening to the to the podcast and they, they had no clue about Bitcoin, but they heard that it was full of psychopaths and dark tetrads and just assholes generally, and they all just want to wreck the financial system and bring doom and gloom to the world, like when you read the the, the, the mainstream media versions of, of it, the corporate press and the propaganda – but like if someone was listening to this and they just hear you and what you just mentioned in terms of how it's, you know, cultivated this low time preference, you want to spend more time with your kids, you want to be slightly less interesting to your wife, totally can relate to that, <laughs> all of these things. And it's like, if you're listening, surely this is enough just to pick up viral osmosis that, huh, there, there could be something in here. And it's like what Vala said, I think on episode eight, which was, you just it just makes you a little bit more like no one's going to listen to you if you're not an impressive person to them not an impressive person generally but just just an like person that sort of looks up to you like, kind of like you looked up to your brother and you're like all right fine mm -hmm. i'll pick up the bitcoin standard i'll honor you and i'll take the time to read this thing and the next minute you're just like down that rabbit hole you know yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think I think you also hit on a good point. I think like, you know, if if you know you're obsessed about this Bitcoin thing, but like your life is a wreck, like, you know, no one is gonna take you seriously. I think uh but I I think that's just a consequence of taking the orange pill. You just naturally like want to improve your life because it compels you to take action. And um, you know, if 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 people see that like, oh, okay, like this guy seems like he, you know, as his has his crap together and you know he's spending time with his family it looks like he's exercising and why, why the heck is he eating a lot of red meat what what the heck is up with that and it's just like you know How can kinda, you afford red meat what the hell yeah 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 i know and it's like uh by, by the way if, if you buy red meat like buy like if, if you buy like half a cow I, I will say if you find a farmer and buy like half a cow it's a lot cheaper that way if mm. if for any for any, anyone listening but um just, just to to kind of to kind of touch on that i i, I think you know if 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 you find yourself uh, learning and reading about Bitcoin and, you know, you're like improving your life, I think that's just a natural consequence of going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. That's just what happens. Like, I, I don't I don't see how it could go down any other way, like unless you're just like completely un uninterested in it, I, I guess. But for me, you know, when I started going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, I, I just started making all of these changes in my life. And um now it's like you know it's way more than just the price action of bitcoin i initially got in there because like uh i guess i initially looked at it because of the price action but now it's more of kind of like a revolution thing and i i, I feel very comfortable in in talking about it i know that that can be a little bit aggressive in my tweets especially when i'm talking about crypto but um uh you know i, I think it just comes from like you know i'm I, I look at this Bitcoin thing as the most ethical form of money. And um, I, I see like all of this stuff that's in crypto and fiat as unethical. And I, I'm, I'm ready to like stand by that. Here's a thought experiment. Let's say we, we fast forward to hyper Bitcoinization and there are no longer the need for, for one of a better word, Bitcoin evangelism. You know, we don't have the, the Discovering Bitcoin podcasts. We don't have, and I cannot, I'm going to butcher the name, the Majin. Oh, oh, um, uh, you mean, you mean the Twitter account? No, your, your podcast your, with your brother. Oh, oh, oh sorry. The gathering. Uh, um, uh, uh, Bitcoin Medulus. 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 Uh -huh. I'm going to write that down nice and clear instead of in chicken scratch. 
uh, we got you know we've got Bitcoin Medulus, we've got you know all of the all, all of the content, right? Is someone who is operating on a on a hyper Bitcoinized sound money uh, Bitcoin standard, whatever? Is it incentivizing curiosity from them too? Is it compelling them to become better people? Is it is it the fact that they've got a store of wealth which is appreciating over time, therefore increasing optionality for them to then allocate some time, resources, energy, whatever, to other things? If you're an incurious person, are you not doing that or are you going to become more of a curious person or at least be incentivized compelled to pursue some interests that you may have had that you cannot do on a fiat standard because you got all this shit you got to deal with yeah i mean i i think you know you know assuming we hit like a hyper bitcoinized world i think you know it's it's having all of the incentives having all of the disincentives fixed by uh, that, that that was in fiat like having that not exist anymore i think will allow people to ha- lower their time preference and as a result they will start to uh you know like start thinking long term so instead of like you know doing something that gives them short term pleasure they might do something that'll be like a long term investment or like a, a like something that'll give them a long term benefit like you know so that's i think it's one of the reasons why we have you know people that are just in in general like you know they're they're alone and miserable they're not like people aren't starting families or um, people aren't investing in themselves. I think a lot of this is just caused by high time preference behavior where, you know, you're just, there's just no incentive to do that. But like on a sound money standard or specifically on a Bitcoin standard, I think you're, you're, you're more incentivized to do things that you're, that, that you want to pursue that will give you long-term benefits. Like it's, you, it, like you said, it, when you're able to save, it gives you more optionality in the future. And when you have that, it allows you to do more things. It allows you to do more cool things, like whether you want to start a family or build a business or do whatever. Like, you know, I, I think, I think on a, on a hyper Bitcoinized world, I think we'll, would see, would see, you know, I, I, I like to think that would see a lot more, um, like success in humanity, I guess, and a lot more happiness as well. But, you know, I, obviously, like, I know, I know that sounds like very rosy and very optimistic, but, um, and obviously, you know, we like to say Bitcoin fixes this, but I mean, unfortunately, it's not going to fix every single thing. But man, I mean, if every transaction that we do is involved with money, I like to think that Bitcoin will at least fix half of our problems. And that to me is worth fighting for. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you could just imagine a lot of junk industries that will get creatively destroyed as we transition to those, to that, to that standard. I mean, just that all of the, all of the things that just are high velocity trash swirling around our, our daily day lives. And they're, 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 they're created because, you know, they're, they're kind of ways of appearing wealthy or something like that um, without actually having any underlying you know, foundation from which to, to, to base that, that appearance of wealth on. It's just a facade. It's, um, yeah, interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see if that will unfurl in, in my lifetime or not. I've got no idea. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, I, I don't know when or, or even if that will happen, but you know, that's, that's why we're into Bitcoin. Cause at least, you know, I, for me personally, I think it's worth fighting for. Well, you know, you look at like, um, older, uh, you know, Bitcoiners that got in early, early doors, those that got it, those rare, 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 rare few. Most of them you don't even hear from nowadays anyway. Like they're just not, they're not anywhere. But um, yeah. they, the, or the occasional ones that you do hear of, they, they, have, they have started to build this sort of, you can glimpse at least a little bit into their life about what they've managed to, the optionality they've managed to increase to pursue certain things that are of interest to them. It's, it's quite fascinating. So it's almost like a, like some sort of archeological, you know, <laughs> you, you sort of look back in time and go, okay, well, you know, this person's doing X now. And I mean, I, I look at someone like Marty Bent, for instance, like I'm pretty sure, yeah, you know, like he's just gone all in balls deep on this thing. He's put his heart and soul into <laughs> TFTC, all of these things. 
And I, I don't know, you know, I, and I don't care whether he's like rich or anything. That doesn't matter to me. But the fact that we have a Marty Bent in this world and that he has the time and energy available to do what he does, I think that's just fucking cool. And if we can get yeah. more of yeah. people like that on the planet, I think then the alignment happens and we flourish as, as humans. It's, it's pretty gnarly. Yeah, I think I think a lot of Bitcoiners like to complain about like, you know, there's so much Bitcoin content. There's too many podcasts, there's too many books, there's too many articles. Oh my god, like, you know, don't another create Bitcoin, one. another Bitcoin video, but I'm like, <laughs> no, we, actually we need more because there's all of this other crap that's on, you know, the internet or media or whatever. It's like we need to counteract that by talking about Bitcoin more. So like, no, we need more Bitcoin podcasts, we need more videos, we need more books, we need more articles that are all talking about Bitcoin, and I think we just need to like not shut up about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's one of the first, one of the other questions I tend to ask. What have you learned about the world and more importantly yourself since discovering Bitcoin? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think I touched upon mm. uh, I touched on it a little bit before, but like, you know, I think I think that just that lowering of time preference cuz like before, you know, I I just I sometimes like look at my like how I lived my life, like back in my twenties or something, like I didn't even like have savings, right? Like that wasn't even a thing in my mind to even like save money. Um, so like, I think that's one of the things that's, that's really, uh, kind of like it's, it's motivated me to think about the future more. And I think that just kind of helps with like, you know, me like having, having kids, um, you know, I, I'm kind of forced to, now think about the future and i feel like uh you know discovering bitcoin and learning about it learning about uh economics learning about my religion more has kind of made me like like lower my time preference it's 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 made me um uh you know i'm not uh, like it's 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 weird because like yes there's all of this horrible horrible things that are being caused by fiat but at the same time i feel like very stupidly optimistic uh so it's like it's kind of weird that i kind of like go between the two but like um I, I think i think it's 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 changed me just in in basic terms in that it's lowered my time preference which has allowed me to do other things that i normally wouldn't wouldn't have done like i said i'm learning more i'm reading more books i'm i'm eating healthy i'm working out i i you know i i i, I do more more things for uh uh for my faith like uh you know i'm i'm uh learning about my faith more i'm going to you know to the mosque which like it, our 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 holy uh place of worship um you know i'm i'm i have more friends i'm talking with people more um i'm kind of like getting out there it's kind of forced me to like you know not sit around and waste my time like before where i would you know like uh not that there's anything wrong with it but i'd like play video games and stuff and now it's like no like i want to i want to I, I have like all of this these bitcoin books i want to read now <laughs> So that's, that's that's how it's changed me. That's extraordinary, <laughs> man. It's like this 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 neutral protocol that you just unleash into the world and yet it just has these real world effects on people interacting with it. It's just mind blowing. I just Yeah. Yeah. I need to do more reading, maybe some anthropological sort of stuff, because it's just fascinating to me that yeah, just just I mean TCP IP didn't do that. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure, right? <laughs> It's very yeah. strange. It's cool that it's it's cultivated um, uh, more of a what would you say like an interest or a devotion to your religion um, and your relationship with with that you know with God or or, or whatever. Like I'm probably speaking out of turn here. I'm, no, I'm no, no. It's uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I think you know I I don't like to say that like you know I you know, Bitcoin is the thing that's making more, making me more religious, but like, I like to think it's a lot of other factors and mm. stuff, but like, I think, I think it goes back to that lowering of time preference. So like, you know, if you're like a religious person, it just isn't specific to being a Muslim, you know, you, you want to think about the future. So you're forced to not consume and do things that will help you in the future. Well, like if you're a religious person, you kind of necessarily believe in an afterlife and in order to, you know, have a good outcome in your afterlife, you need to do things now that would help you prepare for that. You know, I'm obviously this applies to Islam, but like I said, it applies to like other religions. So I think like in general, if you're lowering your time preference to the point that you're not not even thinking about like you know, you're you, even even in this life, you're low. You've lowered your time preference so much that you're thinking about the life after after this one. <laughs> so I think that's kind of like one of the things that uh, I I I find myself um, 
I, I guess like thinking about it in that, in that kind of terms, but it's just weird because like all I did was just, you know, save money and that gives me like optionality in the future. And it's just, I think it's just all of the down, the second order effects of being able to save on a sound money, I think is, is really what all of this kind of, kind of comes from where on the other end you have fiat, which all of the incentives cause you to consume. It causes you to have uh, a high time preference lifestyle where you're just kind of consuming, um, consuming pleasures that gives you that, that, you know, things that give you pleasure right now. Um, so like, I, I think, you know, getting off of the fiat standard has a lot of positive effects. I don't know if it's so much more getting on, uh, like into Bitcoin. I think a lot of it has to do with getting off of fiat. Like when you get off of fiat, you necessarily kind of, uh, start to make more positive changes in your life. And I think one of those positive changes is just naturally being more religious, I think. And I'm honestly, like even being on Bitcoin Twitter, I like to kind of, keep an eye on like what the Christian uh, Bitcoiners are doing. And I, I find the same thing. Like you, you talk to Christian Bitcoiners, I bet you they would, they would tell you the same thing. So it's not something that's very specific to Islam in general. I think it's just like when you lower your time preference so much to the point that you're not even just thinking about this life, but you're also thinking about the hereafter as well. Yeah. There is like a, like a, a, a subset or subculture or whatever of Bitcoiners that, that have uh, found, I guess, or picked up religion, either refound it or picked it up from from the get go. Maybe they've converted straight. I can think of a couple of people who've converted, like literally from atheism to to um, Christianity. Say, yeah. Then again, you have Knut Svenholm and people like that who are just like straight down the line. Fuck that, um, mm -hmm. you know. And that's cool as well. It, it's 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 the the ability to choose, you know, that ability to have optionality to 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 direct your time and energy as you wish. And as you said, like fiat just doesn't allow for that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I like to think, you know, one of the things that in, in one of what, one of the books that I've read, I mean, I think the institution of fiat necessarily leads to people instead of like, you know, worshiping a higher power, they end up worshiping the state because like mm -hmm. you now have the state that's in control of the money that is able to siphon people's wealth and is able to like kind of dictate and manage and centrally plan the economy, which is basically planning people's human actions, right? Like it, it like, like that's, that's, that's kind of like what central planning does is just influences everyone's actions. Well, if you have the state that's at the top, the nation state doesn't answer to anyone else. They don't answer to a God or anything, right? Like, so they're, they're necessarily, they refer to itself. So like, you know, by the nation state's objective criteria or what they think is objective, the best person or the best citizen is the one that's the most devoted to the state. So like, you know, a lot of people that are like, you know, you know, a, a lot of conspiracy theories call them sheep or whatever, but you definitely kind of see like this kind of sentiment of people that are like, oh, okay, new vaccines out, I got to get the vaccine, or you know, oh, government's telling me to mask, uh, mask up, I got to mask up. So like, you know, they, people may not know that they're worshiping the institution of the nation state, but I find that like under a fiat standard, it kind of compels everyone to instead of like I think our, you know personally I think. Um, we have this natural inclination to worship a higher power. Like we're always going to be worshiping something, but the nation state kind of takes that away from people and makes them worship the nation state as a, as, as a replacement, even though they may not know it, you know, you ask some like an atheist, like, no, I, I, I don't, I don't worship anything, but you find if you like examine their behavior, Oh, actually they just listen to anything that the media says or anything that the government tells them to do. So like in a way they've kind of replaced of whatever higher power to whatever the nation state tells them to do. Yeah. So, and Richard Dawkins comes to mind when you mention someone like that like he was a person i sort of looked to for a long while there and read a few of his books and he, the whole covid thing just fried his brain it was just like and, and same thing for the other guy uh sam harris sam right harris. like yeah yeah you know it's like it's uh, obviously like i you know i don't want to call out like all atheists or anything but like you know you, you definitely kind of see that like okay you know you may say you may think of yourself as being an intellectual or you may think that you're you don't worship anything or whatever but like you you kind of like we humans, I feel like we're automatically like we're pre-programmed <laughs> at our base layer <laughs> to use another term we've used before to kind of worship something. So like, you know, I just I just think like being coming from an Islamic background, I think, you know, worshiping God is like kind of 
the the natural way that humans have kind of emerged and um that's i feel like that's kind of how how it all fits together i guess like with the lowering of time preference yeah without a doubt i i i was talking to yoni appleberg um recently about sort of that devotion to a higher something whatever it may be it's it's kind of hard to i kind of drew a parallel between like a football club and it was like terrible analogy and i won't do it again <laughs> but i mean my point was you know like the the players don't matter necessarily for the club it's it's you, the club is the thing you follow and the players come and go as required occasionally one rises to legendary status or whatever and gets their name in a banner or whatever for all eternity but you know it's the club right and it's kind of the same sort of thing you know whether it's the universe that you want to sort of you know uh prostrate yourself before or god or you know i mean god damn it if you if you do the state i mean you've, you've like you cook yeah i like, mean like yeah. The, the, like what more evidence do you need that these people are just incompetent like no hope of retards like they're just idiots they just screw everything up and we've got a whole yeah. canon of history that we can draw on to say like here they are again trying to make this thing a thing and they haven't done it because they're all just they're just they're not talking to one another they're all siloed they're all this that and the other I did, yeah it's a great book, yeah. James C. Scott. I've mentioned on the pod a few times. Seeing like a state, phenomenal book. Oh, I have. I. I it's funny you mentioned that. I actually just bought that book. Nice. So I've been kind of. I've been kind of going through a lot of the references that Alan Farrington uses. I, I did get it, but that's a little later on my reading list. But I, I want to read it though. Yeah, it's it's that. it's dense and like the the print's very small, and you do have to have a lot of time to read it. I haven't finished it yet, but the the aspects of agriculture that he draws on just just really cool, like last names and. Re, re, uh, re-architecting Paris in order to um, enable troops to flow more freely through the streets so they could quell uprisings and stuff because the French like to have a revolt every now and again. Um, huh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really oh, cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, how do you explain Bitcoin? Oh, man, that's... that's- uh that's that's actually really hard because that's something that i struggle with especially when trying to explain it to people in meat space rather than cyberspace um is uh is i i guess i like to start like i said before i think talking about fiat i think if you have to like if if i have like 10 15 minutes to talk to somebody like if you know if i'm getting a haircut or whatever i i think just explaining like you just kind of you gotta eat don't even start talking about like using the word fiat just like start talking about inflation like i think that's like a really good way to talk like any person you talk to is like oh man the the rising prices of gas and like people just get it like you don't have to explain much more no one's gonna be like what are you talking about gas hasn't gone up in price like everybody knows that so like explaining the rising prices of things i think kind of gets people going and talk about it and then you know if the discussion goes to like maybe talking about the rising prices of houses well then like you know maybe maybe you know you can kind of mention that like yeah it's just man the 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 rising prices uh, of 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 houses just doesn't make sense like you know houses are deteriorating yet their the prices keep increasing why why is that happening so like you just kind of get them to like just like yeah you know like i i think i may have like used that I, I was like talking with somebody i was like why why is that and they were like like you could tell like their brain was breaking a little bit trying to think about it. it's like why are all these houses breaking down but all the prices keep rising so like you know i think like talking a little bit about those problems that everyone just kind of inherently sees like the rising prices of stuff and that's when you can kind of like talk about like you know you know you need, we need to find a way to like uh save our money so that our money doesn't get devalued with all these rising prices and then you know i i have this article on on my medium page where i i talk about like the 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 fiat dilemma i guess is that you know in when when you're you're in fiat you're constantly having to look for different investment vehicles to beat inflation but you know obviously if you're a muslim not only do you have to beat inflation you also have to avoid riba as well so it's like right. you're, you're getting and when you, you know when you're not get uh, getting interest from the fiat system it's like working against you twice um uh so but you know like actually it's it's even three times because like you have to work for your money you have to invest your money but if you're muslim then you have to invest it in a way that's not tied to riba or what you think is not tied to riba and then you know like especially when i'm talking to other muslims then that's kind of when i i like to bring that riba aspect it's like 
you know, what the heck is the dollar backed by? Like, is it, what, what, what's, what's, what's this Federal Reserve note backed by? And then you start talking about U.S. Treasury. Like, okay, what the hell is U.S. US Treasuries are backed by is just interest-bearing debt? That means, that means all of our money is interest-bearing debt? And then that's when you kind of get them to start <laughs> thinking of like, like, okay, now, now that you've kind of like set the frame and the, the framing of the problem, that's when you can kind of like, I've been looking into this thing called Bitcoin. There's this crazy guy, Muslim Bitcoiner, he wrote this article. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's, that's when he can kind of like, you know, he calls Bitcoin anti-ribble money. And it's like, you know, you just, you just kind of, I think, uh, like I said, going back to my earlier point, I think just framing it in, uh, in trying to explain what the problem is before you start talking about Bitcoin, I think is the correct approach or the most yeah. correct approach. Orange pilling is a, is a very low time preference activity. Uh, it, it may not seem that when you first get in but oh yeah. man it's hard it's it's a it's a hard slog for sure yeah. muslim bitcoiner this has been like a yeah a mind-bending chat i honestly could talk about the um finance from an islamic perspective for ages luckily there's a lot of uh content that you've already produced so i'm going to dive into your pod uh, with your brother a lot more and um honestly man I just like it, it these are the kinds of conversations that make this podcast um worthwhile and um you know i'm fortunate enough that like a decent chunk of people listen to it but um even if they didn't like it's just i'll now go away juiced for my day you know having had this conversation and again i'm just re-energized re-enthused optimistic <laughs> for the world all of that kind of stuff that bitcoin has kind of um allowed for i suppose just the, the, the fact that you can allocate resources to have these kind of conversations is very cool so yeah thanks for spending your scarce time finite energy discovering uh discussing the tale of how you discovered bitcoin yeah thank you and uh i, I guess for anyone listening um i'll 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 i'll, I'll send the link uh for for bitcoin medulus and my twitter account and also just a general message that if anyone's listening, uh, if you know of any Muslims that are in, that want to learn about Bitcoin, please send them my way, and we will we will orange pill them. <laughs> Just- <laughs>